0: Hi everybody, welcome to Ask Dr. Jessica, the podcast Where my goal is to keep you informed with quality medical information and to help you worry less along your parenting journey. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hockman. Today's guest is Dr. Aaron Amato. Dr. Amato is a psychiatrist, double-boarded in both general psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry. In recent years, there has been an increase in the number of teenagers who are experiencing depression. I was really interested to talk to Dr. Amato as she has been treating depression with a medication called ketamine. While ketamine has been around for decades, it has only been in recent years that psychiatrists are using ketamine to treat depression that is not improving with traditional medications. I thank Dr. Amato for helping to spread awareness about this medication. You never know whose life may be impacted for the better. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so thankful if you would leave a five-star review and share it along with a friend. Hi Aaron. thank you so much for coming on to talk about ketamine, I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm so curious because I know you're a psychiatrist and I have to say that in medical school, thinking about ketamine as a means to treat depression was not something that we learned about. So I'm so curious, how, how did you come into this field? How did, how did you learn about ketamine?
1: Uh, Yes, well, it is still a young field in terms of psychiatry, and I first learned about it in 2014. I lost a patient to suicide, and that put me on the path of just trying to figure out what else is out there to help people because I had been in practice for about six years at that point, And I felt like I was doing everything I could for some of these patients in terms of using uh, various medications and talk therapy. And there were a lot of people who still weren't getting well. And so um, I had heard mention of ketamine in some of the journals, Uh, and I had a conversation with my father, who's an oral surgeon, so he does a lot of wisdom teeth and other dental procedures. He had also heard about ketamine for depression, and we struck up a conversation, and he said, you should think about using it because ketamine, it's really easy to use. It's been around forever. So that's kind of what got me my confidence initially to go out and try this. So initially, you were practicing
0: psychiatrist?
1: Yes. Um, yeah. Very traditional psychiatrist,
0: uh, lots of use of medications and then talk therapy. So how did you get into this field of psychedelic treatments? Did, <laughs> have you always been interested in alternative sources of medicine?
1: You know, I have, and, and it always bothered me in my uh, psychiatric training that we didn't talk a lot about prevention. We didn't talk a lot about lifestyle. And other things that people could do beyond just medications for helping with their mental health. So I've always had a curiosity about it. And so it just seemed like a very natural pathway as I got interested in ketamine and also TMS as an alternative treatment for depression. And then just looking at more holistic and integrative approaches to mental health as well.
0: I agree with you. I think the criticism that a lot of doctors get from the public is that when patients come with their symptoms of depression, we're so quick to prescribe a medication. We don't think about the root cause. Right.
1: Yeah. I I mean, that's often an afterthought. And sometimes I think we, we use medications and other means because the, the patients that are coming to us are very ill. They need something to get them back on track to where they can actually have the, the ability to think through or plan or, or find the energy to engage in lifestyle changes that may help more with those root causes.
0: So let's talk about ketamine. When I first heard about it from a patient, it sort of took me off guard because I thought, wait, this is not something I ever learned about. How can this really be a a true treatment? Who should be using ketamine and and where have you seen it uh, work successfully?
1: Well, I think it's a really uh, good consideration for anyone who's had uh, particularly depression, but also PTSD, it can be very helpful with that. And in cases where people have tried a few medications and they've found that they either don't tolerate them because of side effects or that they're just not getting better, ketamine would be a good consideration at that point.
0: Okay. So in summary, anybody who's tried medications, tried Mm -hmm. talk therapy, Mm -hmm. not seeing success, still feeling really depressed is someone who should think about ketamine.
1: Yes. And there are certain medical conditions that we have to be mindful of where someone may not be a good candidate for ketamine. Um, We see this, I think, more in the adult population where if it's someone who has a history of high blood pressure that's not well controlled. Um, uh, that would, that would be a situation where I would be reluctant to treat someone. Um, also, if someone is pregnant, that would be an exclusion. Um, if anyone has had ketamine in the past and they've had an allergic reaction to it. And then in cases where people have had, uh, the type of stroke where there's bleeding within the brain or if they have certain vascular problems within the brain or in other parts of the body, that would be, um, a reason to pause and consider whether that person really is a candidate.
0: And, What does the treatment using ketamine look like? Is it something where patients come in once a week? Do -hmm. they come in for years? What does the expected treatment course look like?
1: So um, if we're talking about IV ketamine, uh, within my practice, our initial protocol is kind of an initial or an induction series where we have people come in two times a week for three weeks, so a total of six treatments. Now, that's not a hard number. Sometimes we're flexible with that. If we've needed to start at a lower dose and take more time, we'll extend that initial series, but two times a week. And then for those who have shown a favorable response to ketamine, there is a need usually to return period periodically for some maintenance treatments. And that looks very different for everyone. Uh, For some of my patients that are more fragile, um, have really difficult to treat depression or suicidal thoughts, maybe they're coming in once a week still or um, every other week. Whereas other people, it's the average is I would say monthly that people are coming in for those maintenance treatments. And then I have a few who are able to go even two to three months in between their treatments.
0: And do you notice that your patients feel noticeably better right away, or does it take time?
1: It can take time, and and that's something that I have conversations on the front end with people about managing expectations and not giving up hope or being frustrated if they don't see that quick turnaround after one treatment. Um, I would say it's kind of a bell curve. Most people, by treatment three or four, they are noticing some sort of shift starting to happen, but there are those who notice a difference within hours of their first treatment. There are some people where we get to treatment six and it's a little bit iffy. And that's a situation where, where maybe I would extend and do a couple more treatments to see if we see more movement.
0: And walk me through what it looks like for the patient when they are getting the IV treatment. Do they have you by their side during the treatment? Are you, t- are you, are you talking to them afterwards? Do you prepare them before? What does the actual experience look like?
1: Uh, Well, I or one of my um, other medical providers, PAs within my practice will go in and meet with the patient initially just to do a general assessment to see how they're doing mood wise. Also to assess for suicidality, that's an important thing to do each time someone has a treatment. Um, and assessing different medical factors. And then we make a determination on dosing. And at that point we have um, some nurses and paramedics within our practice who administer the actual treatment. And so the infusion itself, it's an infusion over 40 minutes. And then there's usually about 30 minutes of recovery time after the medicine is done running uh, during the infusion. So I'm not with them the entire time. And there are different practice models where um, there's a, a a model of delivering ketamine called ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, or CAP. And in that case, uh, the medical provider may have just a very limited role, but there may be a therapist who is sitting with someone the duration of their treatment and even in the time after their treatment and doing some therapy. So there are a lot of different ways that this can be administered and still
0: see benefit for the patient in the end. What can patients expect to feel during this experience?
1: You know, some of it depends on the dosing level and every per- every person is different in terms of their sensitivity to different doses. So it's fairly, um, it's fairly standard to start with a dose that's based on the patient's weight and then to graduate that a little bit over time. But at the lower end of the dosing, a lot of people report things like they feel, uh, kind of a floating sensation, like a dreamlike state. Uh, some people see colors, um, Usually sounds are enhanced and we do have our patients wear an eye shade that helps to block out um, external distractions and helps them to go internally more with the treatment, which is an important part of the therapeutic process. And we have them use some over the ear headphones with some playlists of music that we've curated. We've been very intentional about the type of music that we have on these playlists because the music for some people really becomes an important part of the ketamine experience and the therapeutic effect of it. For most people, they report it as a very pleasant, uh, relaxing experience. There are a few people that may experience some anxiety or have some darker content that comes up for them. But I explained to people on the front end that sometimes if there's darker content coming up, that's something that needs to be dealt with and processed and rather than pulling back and getting anxious, it's something to acknowledge and push through with the
0: treatment. It's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Do, do we know why ketamine works? Do you know what is actually happening in the brain? Uh, There's a fairly long
1: list of ideas of what may be happening, but um, we know that it enhances neuroplasticity, uh, that that there's a window of probably 24 to 48 hours where there's some enhanced neuroplasticity. So that's a window where um, the brain may be able to process material or learn material in a different way than it has been previously. Um, it also increases levels of BDNF. Um, it's a long-term brain-derived neurotrophic factor, but I like to think of it as miracle growth for the brain. And there's something pretty fascinating that happens with ketamine where they've even looked at uh, pictures of neurons or dendrites underneath a microscope. Um, This is usually with animal studies, like looking at mouse um, dendrites. But they've looked at those um, neurons in cases where the mice have been stressed and there's been damage to the neurons. And then they've looked at them after treatment with ketamine and they're actually seeing sprouting and new growth of the neurons. Another way too is it works on different neurotransmitters than we typically think of traditional antidepressants working with. So, you know, with antidepressants, we talk a lot about uh, serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine. Uh, with ketamine, we're talking more about uh, glutamate and GABA. So, uh, it really is working differently than those traditional antidepressants.
0: It's so interesting because I know the brain becomes more rigid. And less plastic as time goes on so the idea Mm -hmm. that we can regrow reshape that's so fascinating yeah yeah it really is now i know the fda recently approved nasal ketamine for Mm -hmm. treatment of refractory depression can you comment on uh on nasal ketamine is that Mm -hmm. is that an option for patients and, and when to use nasal ketamine versus iv ketamine
1: Sure. So there are several different routes of administration for ketamine. A common form is the IV infusion. It can also be given as an injection, usually in the arm. It can be given orally where it's compounded into little dissolvable lozenges. Um, often when it's being used orally like that, it may be combined with the type of therapy that I was describing earlier. And then, um, it can be compounded into an intranasal spray. One difficulty with that though is that you don't necessarily get consistent dosing with that. And so, uh, So a drug company did develop a form of ketamine called S-ketamine, or it's known as the brand name Spravato, and that was approved by the FDA in 2019 for treatment of major depressive disorder. And um, it uses a little special cartridge that is uh, a very controlled dosing of it, so it's different than what you would think of like an Afrin-type nasal spray very controlled dosing of that, um, and we do administer that in my clinic as well. It's different from the IV form because S-ketamine only comes in two different, uh, fo- two different doses, and it's also restricted to use, at least at this point, for people over the age of 18. That FDA approval was just for uh, more of the adult population. And there are some strict monitoring requirements that come with it as well. People who do the intranasal esketamine, it has to be done in a medical office. Uh, There are some parameters about how blood pressure has to be monitored. And from the time of when the, the patients get the medicine, they have to stay within the office for monitoring for at least 120 minutes after getting that medicine. So a solid two hours. And um, I mean, we do similar things with the IV ketamine as well, but it doesn't have the same requirements around it in terms of that monitoring program. And what is the age
0: limit for IV ketamine?
1: Well, really, any of the other forms of ketamine that I described um, other than S-ketamine or Spravato are considered off-label. So there are no specific parameters about what age limit there is. Uh, in terms of my personal comfort level, I feel more comfortable treating older adolescents Uh, There was a Yale study that was published last year where the subjects they studied even went down to age 13. They were looking at kids ages 13 to 17 and saw really good safety and tolerability. And that study showed uh, very promising results, too, in terms of the antidepressant effect. So I would be open to going down to age 13, but just would be more mindful about probably providing extra support, starting with lower dosing and just monitoring really closely.
0: That's a really helpful answer for me. Just as a pediatrician, I see mm-hmm. a lot of teenagers who have tried a lot of options and they're still feeling, uh, unfortunately, some severe depression. So it's really nice yeah. to know and to spread awareness that there is this option out there.
1: Yeah, and I'm hoping that the awareness grows. It's it's disappointing, I think, sometimes when... Um, I often get patients who just find us through Googling about ketamine. They're not hearing about it from their psychiatrists. And so I'm hoping that there is continued uh, spreading of awareness so people know that they don't have to suffer for so long going on with medication after medication that's not working. There are other alternatives and especially thinking about adolescence and that critical window of development and what I see often when uh, when I'm seeing a youth who has been on a lot of medications and isn't doing well. It's impacting their social functioning, it's impacting their school attendance, and it can set them back so far in terms of their life trajectory. So if this ends up being a treatment that that we study more, that we see more benefit for the pediatric population and that we start using it, I just think there's amazing potential to get kids back on track when they've been suffering.
0: I find that a lot of youth, especially the teenagers, they if they don't get the relief that they can for their symptoms from their doctors, from from psych, from their therapists, I worry that they look to self medicate. And I know that you know I feel like street drugs are not are not a safe way to go. And yeah. so I like that there's another option to help people when it is monitored by a doctor. Um, it's just nice to hear about an alternative.
1: Yes. And there is abuse potential with ketamine. It's known in the club scene or the rave scene as special K. Uh, But when administered in an office setting like this, where it's very controlled, the doses we're using are much lower than what's being used um, in a more of an abuse context. It can actually help with treatment of addiction. There have been some studies uh, that have come out showing that when uh, ketamine is used for treating alcohol use disorder, that it can help decrease cravings, it can help people maintain sobriety. Uh, So it, it is so important, though, to have it administered under medical supervision and monitoring.
0: Now, can you give advice to patients on how to find a quality location where they can get this kind of treatment?
1: That is a very good question. I I think a great resource to start with is the website for the American Society of Ketamine Physicians, Psychotherapists, and Practitioners, um, and that's ASKP.org. And on that website, they have a lot of great resources, and they have a locator map where you can, I think you can type in your zip code or your state, or you can hover over the map and find a practice or a physician who is associated with that organization. And so that's one level of screening to say who's out there, who is tied to a reputable organization that's probably involved in doing some continuing education. So that's a really good starting point. Um, I also think it's important to look for uh, medical settings where there is some involvement with a, a mental health professional. Um, ketamine has been administered, um, and administered well by anesthesiologists, ER doctors, other, other specialties. But I think it's important to know, do they collaborate with psychiatric professionals to make sure that the diagnosis is right, to make sure that there's monitoring for suicidality, um, and that there's some sort of a continuing plan because ketamine is not the be all end all, it's just one slice of the treatment pie. And when someone is done with that, say initial series of six treatments, you got to know what is the plan for that ongoing treatment and monitoring, whether it's treatment with medications or talk therapy or looking at lifestyle factors like nutrition and sleep. Um, y- you've got to make sure that you're working with someone who understands the importance of being plugged into a team and making sure that you have a mental health professional as part of that.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that because I agree wholeheartedly. You really have to think of these medications as a piece of the pie but it can't be the entire focus of treatment right especially for lasting effects right
1: exactly because we know with ketamine like i was mentioning before there is this need for ongoing booster or maintenance treatments so and and most of the patients that come to us yes they may be on medications that don't feel like they're working but Once they've done the ketamine, if they've seen benefit, then it's time to continue working, usually with some degree of medicines. It may mean taking some away that aren't working any longer. Maybe it means retrying something. There is some anecdotal talk about whether people actually may respond better to medications after they've gone through successful treatment with ketamine. I don't have any evidence to back that up. But those of us that have been doing this for a long time, there is that question about, well, maybe trying medicine again, maybe it will work better this time. So just remembering that, I mean, these are complex patients. So you you have to have a very um, intentional, well-thought-out, all-encompassing treatment plan where
0: it's not just the ketamine. Yes. Now, what about What about patients that are moderately depressed? Would you ever Mm -hmm. recommend ketamine in that setting?
1: I would, yeah, because I mean, we we see plenty of people who they're doing medication, they're doing talk therapy, they may be even doing the lifestyle changes and it's helped to some degree, but they feel like they're stuck. They're not making progress still. Um, And in cases too, where people have some sort of trauma that has gone on, whether it's early childhood or somewhere in their adult life, that's another area where sometimes people are functioning, maybe they're moderately depressed, but they're feeling stuck, like they can't move on. And the ketamine often helps people move forward in uh, the progress with that. So yes, with moderate depression, I I would still consider treatment with, with ketamine.
0: Can you speak to any studies, uh, is there are there any evidence-based studies out there that, that show benefit from ketamine, or is this still sort of a gray zone?
1: Uh, well, like I mentioned, ketamine is still a young treatment. Some of the early studies that came out were in the early 2000s, showing that there was potential benefit and an antidepressant effect. But in the last, I would say, I mean, I've been doing this regularly since 2016, and the research just continues to explode, it continues to escalate, and which is so exciting because um, for those of us that were early to get into the field, uh, we were often calling each other, sharing data. Um, just trying to put together protocols that uh, were consistent and evidence-based. So uh, yes, the the research continues to grow. And I mentioned depression and PTSD as as, uh, main targets for ketamine, but there have been case studies showing some benefit in eating disorders patients. Uh, There have been some uh, smaller studies showing benefit for OCD. So I hope we continue to see Uh, further research in those psychiatric conditions that um, we still see that treatment resistance where people aren't responding to meds or therapy and they need help. And potentially ketamine um, may be useful. Also, the whole field of just psychedelic medicine and psychedelic psychiatry that's on the horizon is exciting too uh,
0: in terms of research that's emerging. Any specific psychedelic medication that you see coming more to the forefront?
1: Well, the two that I think we're closest to seeing some sort of FDA approval for are MDMA, which is not a classic psychedelic, but it sometimes gets lumped in like ketamine gets lumped in sometimes. But the studies uh, for PTSD with MDMA are so promising. It's really exciting because PTSD is one of the psychiatric conditions that we just don't see A lot of benefit with medications. And then the other one is psilocybin, or sometimes people call it mushrooms, magic mushrooms. Uh, But uh, there are over 25 academic centers that have studies dedicated to psychedelic medicines right now, academic centers like Johns Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins is studying psilocybin for treatment of depression, um, anxiety at end of life, smoking cessation, Alzheimer's, I think they have a Lyme disease study that's going on, so it's I I can't wait to see what some of the results are because there's such public demand and interest in this because there are so many people suffering and I worry that the scientific studies and also the legal regulations are not keeping up with the public demand and so I think a lot of people are thinking of going out and trying this or they are going out and trying it because they're hearing about the potential benefit but I want those studies so we know more about safety and um, and also just thinking about ethics and standards as we have these new treatments rolling out. We have to make sure we do this right so we don't see bad outcomes and then um, a a withdrawal of support of, of these agents.
0: No, I really commend you because I think doctors, we're, we're not typically looking outside the box. And I think the way you're approaching this with safety, ethics, but you're also pushing the boundaries a little bit for the benefit of patients. That's fantastic.
1: Thank you. And I feel like we've kind of in the public discourse, we've just skipped right over ketamine to a large degree. I mean, you see articles in the news just about every day about psychedelics. And so I think that's what people are hearing about right now. And a lot of people don't realize that ketamine is here. It's been well studied. It's been around for decades, so we know it has a really good safety profile when it's used in the right setting with the right monitoring. And uh, we know that it has potential benefit, but I think people are just kind of skipping right over it because psychedelics are kind of a sexy topic and they're hot in the news. Uh, but ketamine is legal in all 50 states. It's available. So people should really think about uh, giving that a try before waiting around potentially for any FDA approvals on the other psychedelics.
0: And I'm curious, as you continue to use ketamine, do you see, what are you noticing? Are you seeing a lot of successful outcomes? Do you have any stories you can share?
1: Sure. I, I see a lot of successful outcomes and I have to say, I, I think ketamine has become just the most exciting and promising part of my career. Um, I've been in practice since 2008, and I I just love what we see with ketamine because within that period of three weeks where someone's doing six treatments, we can see such a turnaround in that time, which is so different from waiting for medications to take weeks to months to work for someone. I also do TMS in my practice for depression, that's transcranial magnetic stimulation. We see some great outcomes with that too, But the standard protocol is a nine-week protocol. So again, you don't see that faster turnaround like like we do with ketamine. Um, But one one, um, standout case that I think of, at least with an adolescent, was um, a girl about 15 years old, uh, had been on lots of medications. She had had a couple of inpatient hospitalizations and lots of ER visits for chronic suicidality and self-harming behaviors. Uh, She was not really socializing much with friends They were having a hard time getting her to school on a consistent basis. And so um, we did ketamine and there was such a turnaround for her. Her suicidal thoughts stopped. There was no more self-harm. She said people at work noticed that she was more cheerful when working with customers. Uh, She started attending school regularly. And the feedback that I was getting from her parents too was that she was just doing so well compared to how she had done before that initial series. And she now she continues to come back on a monthly basis. Uh, She is on a couple of medications, but she's just doing really well. Um, and, And I see stories like that also in the adult population. And I see some really great things on the trauma side, too. I think that's been one of the most amazing things that I see is people who have, had um, such a negative impact in their life because of trauma that maybe happened during their childhood or adolescence. And then seeing that with ketamine, they're able to process that trauma or view it from a different perspective that just gives them a renewed outlook and an ability to uh, either move beyond that or see more progress in the talk therapy that they're doing where they just weren't um, seeing the progress that they needed.
0: It's amazing. Almost, they can talk with less, less inhibition. Is that what you? you know, think? I
1: think it's that sometimes things will come up with the ketamine related to the trauma, but it doesn't have the emotional charge, and it doesn't induce that fight or flight response that so many people get primed with chronically when they've dealt with uh, trauma in their past. So it, that that is a really amazing thing that we see, and and then with that. Um, you know, if there is a breakthrough on the trauma side, there's usually an improvement in the depression and the anxiety. Um, also if people see an improvement on the depression and anxiety side, they may feel like they're able to engage in their lives more and, you know, work out regularly, um, socialize with people, um, leave their houses and make a trip to Costco or Walmart where maybe that had been impossible for a while. So, um, so those are, the, those are the details that we see that it's, it's not just about symptoms that are listed on a rating scale like the PHQ-9. It's what is happening in this person's life that they're able to function again and, and show up as the mom that they wanna be for their kids or um, leave the house and engage with friends again. So we, we love seeing those stories.
0: It sounds like for some people, you really are giving them their life back.
1: It, it really does feel that way. And and I sometimes wish that, you know, in psychiatry you don't think of having before and after pictures, but it's almost like we see a change in how people look physically when the light comes back to their eyes or when there's just a brightness about them again and and that's a really awesome thing to see too.
0: That that is that is so awesome and I'm it's really it's so it's so nice to be educated on this subject because you're making my you're you're opening my mind so hopefully. <laughs> Can help spread awareness. And and lastly, just in terms of side effects, I know you mentioned mm-hmm. who, who can't get ketamine, um, mm-hmm. and I know you mentioned that for some people it brings to the surface some dark thoughts. Are there any other side effects that that people should be aware of when it comes to ketamine treatments?
1: Yes. Yeah, so nausea and vomiting are the most common side effect. So we do ask people to fast, um, usually for four hours before IV two hours if it's before the intranasal ketamine treatments. And we do use some anti-nausea medicines to support people. We try to ask on the front end if they've had nausea, if they've had uh, surgeries or anesthesia in the past, or if they have a history of motion sickness. And and so if that's the case, then we'll use some of those anti-nausea medicines on the front end to try to prevent that side effect. Um, And then it is a normal effect of ketamine to raise blood pressure during the treatment. And that's usually not a problem for people who don't have a history of high blood pressure, but for those who do, they just need to make sure that their blood pressure is well controlled and that they're taking their medicine um, on days when they're having a treatment. And uh, in terms of that psychiatric piece and dark things coming up, I try to assess on the trauma side, if people have experienced a lot of trauma Is it something that they have worked through to some degree in therapy? Um, If so, then we just proceed a little more carefully. I usually start off with a lower dose on the ketamine and uh, just really make sure that they feel supported coming in. One thing I didn't really touch on too with ketamine and other psychedelic medicines is the importance of set and setting. So set is mindset. Mindset coming into the treatment is so important. And so I tell people things like, Make sure in the few hours before you come in for a treatment that you stay away from content that you know tends to hijack your emotions in a negative direction. So don't take a work email or phone call right before you come in. Uh, Stay off of social media. Don't be checking news headlines. So kind of create a bubble because when people come in anxious and fixated on something, it has a tendency to get magnified within the treatment. Um, and then the setting piece is what we try to create for people. So our treatment rooms have dimmed lights, um, minimal stimulation. We use that eye shade, the music, just to try to create a setting that that sets people up for success and a really
0: great therapeutic outcome. Uh, so sorry That's if that was fantastic. a little diversion from
1: no, what so you would I, ask, but...
0: I'm thinking even just taking... Uh, just taking news breaks and staying off of uh, anxiety provoking thoughts is a good a good tip in general.
1: I think so. And then I tell people afterwards, because of that window of neuroplasticity, we want to expose the brain to positive content. So um, one thing is that people can't drive for the rest of the day after they've had a treatment. So that is another uh, precaution that we have in place. But I tell people use that time after a treatment to do positive things for your mental health. So go for a walk, spend time in nature, be around positive friends or family, spend time with pets, uh, journaling, listening to music, listening to inspirational podcasts, just keeping things light and on the positive and inspirational side. I think that makes a lot of sense for that window of um, increased
0: learning and neuroplasticity. Amazing. Tell us where, where can people find you? I know you're opening up a new clinic in Bozeman, Montana. Tell us about what you're doing with, with spreading awareness and getting ketamine treatments happening.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to spread awareness within my community and region of, of Billings, Montana. We're opening a location in Bozeman and we're looking at other Montana and Wyoming locations. Um, but people can find me on Instagram and TikTok. It's Erin Amato MD. I'm trying to put some content out there so people can learn more about these treatments and other things that are on the horizon. Um, same thing, Facebook, Erin Amato MD. And um, yeah, and in doing podcasts like this and just public speaking, I think that's the way to get the word out. Um, I've been doing some uh, TV spots with some morning news shows across the country. Um, And and I've gotten some interest lately from producers that want to take this message about ketamine to their audiences, so that's exciting.
0: Well, congratulations and and well-deserved. Thank you,
1: I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for coming on. It was really, really, really fascinating and thank you for sharing all your knowledge.
1: Well, I'm happy to do it and thank you for the work that you're doing with, with spreading so much good content for parents and caregivers.
0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Now, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would take the time to leave a five-star review and share it with some friends. It all really makes a difference to help this podcast grow. See you next Monday.